Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Just Doing Our Cobb. My name is Casey Serma. And I'm Robbie Harbin. Today we'll be talking about what Tom Brady actually said at the Syracuse game in those rumors. We'll also get into, of course, our betting picks and daily fantasy picks later, trying to win you guys some money. And as always, we'll end with our Husker Sports Recap of the Week and previewing what they have going on next week. So let's get into it. All right, Casey, let's go ahead and dive into those Tom Brady rumors. We've had a lot of different stories about what he might have possibly said after Julian Edelman. It looked like he said he's coming back. What do you think? Do you do you even make anything of these rumors? No, I feel like every single year it's the same exact thing with this guy. I mean, every single year it's he's got a new house here. He's talking to this person. He would be a great fit for this team. I feel like every single year we get these stories, and then as soon as free agency opens up, he doesn't talk to anyone and signs back with the Patriots. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It seems like every year this happens. Yeah, I think that people are just kind of grasping at straws here, looking for, I mean, anything with Tom Brady revolving free agency, you know? Um, there was also that video that got leaked out on Twitter that he was, like, FaceTiming Mike Vrabel during the game with Julian Edelman, which, I mean, I don't know if it's real or not. It, it looks pretty real, but the thing is, you can't take that too much into consideration because he's at the game with Julian Edelman a star wide receiver for the Patriots and Jimmy Fallon, who's a longtime New England Patriots fan and Boston fan. And so I think people are blowing these way out of proportion. It's, you know, it's just a little bit of Tom Brady mixed with maybe some glimmer into what he is going to do, but I don't think there's anything there that I think people are blowing it way out of proportion. Yeah. It's he's near the end of his career that there's no doubting that, but I just don't see him ever ending up in a different uniform. As much as I absolutely hate the man as a Buffalo Bills fan, I don't ever see him playing for anyone besides the New England Patriots for the rest of his career. Now, whether that be in, like, they're trying to phase him out very fast, or if this is, like, a two- to three-year plan, maybe a rookie to develop behind him when he, and he, when he retires when he's 46 years old, I don't know. But I just do not see him going anywhere else. The only place that really would make sense is, like you said, Vrabel. You talked about earlier. It would make sense. He, they're friends, and he would go play for his old friend in Tennessee. Probably play the same role that Ryan Tannehill did last year and fit and end his career there. But other than that, I don't see anything. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm not sure if he'll actually end up going anywhere besides New England. But, I mean, obviously we have it coming up later on the show where we'll dive a little bit more into Tom Brady. So for now... Let's go ahead, move on, stay with the NFL, talk about the combine. We have, you know, just this happened this past week. All the drills are now done. Everything's done. Um, it seemed like there were a lot more winners this year than losers, as far as I could tell and as far as I saw. But Casey and I are going to break down some of the winners and losers we saw in, um, between the drills or whatever it is. Um, so, Casey, who are some of your winners for the week? One of my big winners that I saw and. It's similar situation to Lamar Jackson, um, Jalen Hurts. He was asked to, if he would switch positions at the Combine. He said the same thing, Lamar Jackson. He is a team player, but he's also a quarterback. You're a big Oklahoma fan, probably big Jalen Hurts supporter. And I thought watching some of his throwing drills, he threw just as well, if not better, than some of the top-tier options at quarterback. Like Jordan Love had a really good Combine, but his throws were on par with that. His throws were on par with the Eason's and the Herberts. I mean, there really wasn't much. And that's that's going from a point of 
they're in shorts. You know, they're not playing actual football. They're just out there throwing the receivers in shorts with no coverage. But I I really liked his combine performance. Ran the fastest forty of a quarterback at the combine. He could definitely serve as a a, a nice maybe backup for a really high end system or even a starter if he proves himself in today's NFL. Yeah, Jalen Hurts was actually on on my list of winners as well. You know. Being an Oklahoma fan, I watched him every game last season. He had a lot of great moments and a lot of unbelievably frustrating moments. Um, I think I've never doubted his arm too much. I think that he still has to work on some accuracy, some mechanics, which, you know, a lot of a lot of people agree with that on Jalen Hurts. But to me, it's the timeliness of his decision making that mostly worries me, which obviously you can't put on display in a combine. But, you know, against Baylor a couple games in that in the playoff game against LSU he just had untimely turnovers um, against Texas as well he had a huge fumble that almost almost cost him that game and so he just you know that's something that he's going to learn with time and maybe under the right system and the right leadership you know if you look at a team with maybe a veteran quarterback that doesn't necessarily have a, a backup plan like almost the Patriots come to mind. Like if he could learn behind Tom Brady and learn discipline from Bill Belichick, then I think he could become a really good NFL quarterback. But you know, that'll, that'll obviously come to fruition soon, but he did have a great combine. Um, Another winner I had was just big defensive lineman all around the Davis brothers, Neville Gallimore, three, 300 plus pound guys running amazing 40 times, you know, like a 475, 479, 483. They were all right around that range, those three. So two guys from Nebraska, one guy from Oklahoma, just blazing fast speed. I mean, you look at a guy like, you know, Baker Mayfield just came out a couple of years ago, the number one pick, Sam Darnold, like these quarterbacks that are relatively athletic and these 300 plus pounders are outrunning them in the 40 yard dash. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. I, I actually was going to put them on my winner's side to the Davis twins, but I knew we were going to bring them up later in the show. So um, they definitely outperformed where they were probably slated to be before the combine. One thing that I find really interesting with them is at Nebraska, they were tasked with playing a 3-4, both defensive ends. I think Khalil played a little bit of defensive tackle more than Carlos, but they they will be interior 4-3 defensive tackles in the NFL. And with that type of athleticism and speed and strength and burst and all the stuff that they showed, they could really do some damage and probably go out and make some NFL rosters this season. Yeah, because, I mean, you look at, you know, NFL guys are always looking to try to run down running backs, especially if they do end up bursting through that hole. Then having the speed from your defensive tackles, because, I mean, obviously you're not usually too worried about your linebackers or uh, defensive backs athleticism, but having that speed out of your defensive tackles can can be huge. Um, another guy I liked was Michael Turk, former Arizona State punter, just because he bench pressed 25 times, which is incredible for a punter. I mean, that dude's got some serious arms on him. And then my last winner of the week was Jonathan Taylor. I think he blew a lot of people away with his 40-yard dash time. You know, nobody was expecting him to run a sub 4-4. His over-under was a 4-5-1. He ended up running a 4-3-9. You know, blazing speed, one of the fastest running backs at the combine. I saw some stat. It was like, running backs to weigh 225 plus pounds with under a 4-4 and it was only him and Saquon Barkley so if you're I mean obviously Saquon's still young but he's a freak athlete and just Jonathan Taylor even being mentioned in that that same kind of crazy status him just shows the athleticism he has yeah I had Jonathan Taylor too as one of my winners um Nebraska fans knew it with his pull away speed over the years every single time that that guy got the ball to the outside he was gone past the corners and everything but we got to see it on full display this weekend and for a guy that was rumored to be in the lower end of the second round 
I think this performance might have shot him up into the first round conversation at least because not only with the 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 40-yard dash that he had he had a pretty incredible vert to a 36-inch vert vert jump and seems like every single year we get more and more hurdlers coming into the NFLs Saquon does it a lot of the backs it's part of their arsenal now to get some extra yards after contact so that's a big skill and I definitely would love to see where he goes in April yeah I'm interested you know you look at a guy like him I think he could just you know, as a late round guy, he can add to an already dynamic offense. Like, you know, years prior, you would think maybe like the Green Bay Packers, but obviously with the emergence of Aaron Jones, I don't see that. But if you like imagine adding Jonathan Taylor to like the Kansas City Chiefs offense, like that would be crazy. Or the Houston Texans getting Jonathan Taylor because they, you know, they're going to be kind of later in the first round. It could even possibly trade down for him, get some more, get some more out of him. Um, Casey, who are some of your losers from the week? Um, This, I actually went with a couple defensive line prospects for my losers of the week. And for reasons different than you would think, my my one big loser this week is actually Chase Young. And that is because he did not work out at the Combine. That's to be, to be said, he may work out at his pro day and have blazing numbers and just blow everyone away. But to solidify the number one draft position, Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett both use the combine as a platform to showcase their incredible athleticism and just really blow the walls off of everything that they were expected to do athletically coming in, make them that bona fide number one pick. Him skipping in a in a class that has um, Joe Burrow. Yeah, I agree. And now there's even like rumors coming out that the Redskins might not love Dwayne Haskins overall, and they might be looking at a quarterback now instead of number two. I think they will still stick with Chase Young. I can't imagine they take quarterbacks back in back-to-back years. I don't think they're quite that desperate yet. But So it it will be interesting to see if he does work out at his pro day, what kind of times he has, what how he does perform those drills. Um, One of the losers I had was Zach Moss running back out of Utah. He put up below average numbers in the 40 and the the three-cone shuttle, just about everything Zach Moss struggled with. And compared to, you know, he looks like he's such a great athlete on the field. And I'm not taking anything away. He is a great athlete. I'm not going to act like I can go out there and do, do what he does. But he did post below average numbers for what you you would have expected out of him. And he's also dealt with, you know, some minor injuries, hamstrings, things like that. So that kind of is a cause for concern. So I think he might end up slipping into – because he was probably – a late day two early day three guy I think he might have honestly slipped all the way down to day three for sure but he should still get drafted but I don't think he he helped his case at all here at the combine and another guy that I really think uh may have hurt his first round chances and he's been rumored first round for a year now uh everyone in Nebraska absolutely loves Iowa I think AJ Epinesa really hurt his first round chances this weekend um, it's it's tough to grade him though because they knew going in that he was not as explosive and just strong of a player as they would have hoped and scouts would have hoped. But he really had a terrible forty time, five oh four in the forty yard dash, and bench seventeen seventeen bench presses, which was very very low on the scale for uh, defensive ends. Oh, oh, uh, bench by a punter. Yeah, the, well, I, there was a lot of people out benched by that punter. Yeah, that's fair. That's 26 fair. reps or something that he did. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair point. Yeah, but he 
scouts know what they're going to get in Epinesa. They know they're they're not going to get more than 10 sacks in a season if he pans out. He's not going to be that guy that can get you 20 sacks a year like a Cleo Mack type edge rusher. But he is a guy that can definitely plug the gaps and play well in a 4-3 defense that fits his scheme. But I do think that this combine performance may have dropped him out of the first round. Yeah, that'll that'll be another interesting storyline to watch with the draft. Um, another guy, my final guy that I had uh, as a loser for the week was lo- another guy that Nebraska fans are all too familiar with, Lavisca Chenault. You know, this is he probably could have gone out last year as a first round pick, maybe even early, at worst, probably early second. But now, this is an incredibly crowded class. You got C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, all pretty much the undisputed top three, nearly. And you don't even know if he's number four, real or yeah, number four out of that class. But you know, on top of that, he put up again less than expected numbers, just like Zach Moss. And you know, he's kind of had the minor injuries here and there again. But I just think he hurt himself more and he helped himself by uh, waiting a year to come out. And I'm I'm interested to see if he's still going to be a first uh, first rounder. Just because the wide receivers in this class are so good. Yeah, those were my actually my last two winners were. Uh, the Alab- the pair of Alabama receivers, Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs just exploded in the 40-yard dash time. Didn't break the record, but he came very close with uh, times of 4.28 and 4.31. Uh, Jerry Judy, surprising. I think a lot of people were surprised that he ran a 4.45. Um, he was seen as more of a polished route runner and quickness and had the athleticism to get out of breaks fast but didn't have the straight line speed. But he topped C.D. Lamb, who ran a 4.50. So the Alabama wide receivers, I would not be surprised if both of them came out the, off the board in the top 10. Yeah, and it's just crazy because you kind of wonder what that the top three ranking is going to be because there's even been you know some scouts out there saying that maybe Henry Ruggs could be end up being the first wide receiver taken just because he has that explosive playmaking speed like a Tyree kill that can he can just put on put on the burners and get behind your defense so you know I, I do think Judy probably still gonna be the number one receiver taken and then I still think CD and then Henry Ruggs but that'll definitely be be something to watch on draft day yeah for sure the their whole receiver market as a whole in this draft is just going to be so interesting because there's there's guys like Chase Claypool even that blew away the combine and I don't know if he's going to fall but his position is a question because is he going to play tight end or is he going to play wide receiver in the pros he has the athleticism to play wide receiver but he's also a lot bigger of a body so there's guys like that sprinkled all the way throughout this draft that can make or break a team even into the late fifth round sixth round I mean you can find some real gems yeah maybe maybe find this year's uh Tom Brady or Antonio Brown at least talent wise and hopefully not mentally wise (laughs) all right let's go ahead and move on to our XFL talk for the week Obviously, Dallas Renegades uh, fan podcast here. Landry Jones goes down with an injury on a quarterback sneak. But other than that, the D.C. defenders lay a goose egg. Man, they are just looking awful the past couple weeks. Only nine points over the past two games. Uh, The Renegades, they dropped their game to the Roughnecks. Battle Hawks beat the Seattle Dragons. And then finally, the New York Guardians with a a pretty nice victory over the L.A. Wildcats. Casey, what do you think of the XFL this week? You know... I'm 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 getting more disappointed with my renegades, you know, our renegades on this this renegades report every week. Just Landry Jones was not playing well at all before. Uh, we we exchanged some texts during the game. He was not uh, playing up to standard that we thought we were going to get before the season. And I am just done 
with the Philip Nelson experiment. That guy is not a quarterback. He he should just not be on the field. He doesn't even throw a bad pass, and it still gets picked off. That's how bad he is. It's like Nathan Peterman. He's got no arm strength whatsoever, and he just lays these loopers up there, and it's so easy for defensive backs to make a play on the ball. I am just sick and tired. Bring on Eric Dungy. I, I can't take watching Philip Nelson anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty rough. But, man, how about those uh, D.C. defenders again this week with Cardell Jones? I mean, Casey, two weeks ago, you're telling me he belongs <laughs> back in the NFL. And since then, he has put on the worst, the two worst games I've ever seen out of Cardell Jones. What is with your boy? So you're telling me that you don't like 3.3 yards per attempt? Uh, No, but 41% completion rate, on the other hand, that's more enticing. <laughs> It's about uh, 25% less than he was the first two weeks of the season. So I have absolutely no clue what's going on in this league as a whole. Every single week, I have for people that are betting on the XFL right now, take the under. Say a prayer because this this is just insane. Every week, take the under too. Every week, you just don't know what's going to happen in this league. Yeah, I mean, it's just so odd because after two weeks, you're like, wow, the DC defenders look really good. They're got to be the title favorite and. You know, now it's really looking like Houston or or uh, St. Louis. I mean, Dallas could end up bouncing back depending on how bad Landry Jones' injury is, which we don't know the extent of it yet. But, you know, I mean, even when he's in there, often still looked extremely rough like we talked about. Yeah, he looks like a guy that's been working construction for the last year before coming in and playing quarterback. All right. So now let's go ahead and move on to the NFL again. Tony Romo finally signed a deal with CBS to call games. I believe it's about 10 years, $180 million is the, the last ballpark range I saw. So $18 million a year. Um, I think it's a great deal just because Tony Romo brings so much excitement to those broadcasts. He's probably one of the best broadcasters we've had in the business. Definitely in recent memory, one of the best I've ever seen in my lifetime. Uh, I also, there was a rumor, that I'm not obviously sure how true this is, but that CBS initially offered it to Peyton Manning for about the $12 million a year range a lot less than Tony Romo ended up accepting for but Peyton Manning was hesitant and never really gave him an answer is what it sounds like and I'm surprised that they even went to Peyton Manning before consult or before trying to get Tony Romo back yeah I saw it was like somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 14 million and that's a lot for a guy I mean everyone knows Peyton has a great personality and he would probably do fine in the booth but that's a lot for a guy that you're expecting to be on Romo's level of broadcasting skill at the start. I don't know. I would. I you would think maybe that was out of fear that they were going to lose him to ESPN because ESPN was throwing around numbers like 13, 14 mil a year. So they were probably at that point they probably thought they were losing Romo. So they went after another big fish from Peyton Manning that seems like every network's went after in the last couple of years. But it'll be interesting to see if he ever comes out and starts broadcasting because I don't know if we'll see it. You know, he can absolutely replace Booger McFarlane on Monday Night Football, and I don't think we'd have any complaints about it. You're not a Booger fan? No, not not a fan of the Boogers. You don't think he, he provides very knowledgeable and needed information? If you thinking that Booger McFarlane telling me that it's fourth and four and they're going for it, and if they don't get it here, then it's a turnover on downs. Is that knowledgeable? Then maybe, but no. I think Peyton, Peyton Manning would have such a more knowledge knowledgeable take on the game than Booger McFarlane. Yeah, Booger Booger kills me. He seems like a great guy, but, man, he does 
he's not a good color commentator. Yeah, I thought honestly it couldn't get any worse than the Booger Mobile the year before, but they got it even worse because they took him out of the car and put him in the booth. <laughs> And his analysis got even worse because, I don't know, maybe some guys just don't have it in the business, and he is a guy that just does not have it. And his drawings, a lot of them ended up uh, in <laughs> NSFW. Yeah, there were some graphic booger drawings for <laughs> plays this year that probably were not for uh, young people's eyes. There were some graphic some graphic booger <laughs> drawings for sure. And if you don't know what we're talking about, just type in Booger McFarland drawing on any search engine and it will come up. So who do you think is the guy that will take the ESPN job? What ESPN job? The ESPN color commentary job. I, I heard they didn't want Booger back. But I don't know. It'll still be Booger. You think so? If they don't get Peyton Manning, I don't know who else it'd be. Pat McAfee? Pat McAfee would be electric. Did you see Pat McAfee just uh, announced the starters at the Pelicans game the other night? And he announced Zion, and oh my god, it was that place went... F- freaking nuts pat mcafee is such an awesome guy you know he's he's obviously doing the xfl right now doing a lot of a lot of things with espn but man i don't know because it's tough because i don't think pat mcafee really plays into the the older demographic the the way he does his broadcasting and announcing and so i'm not sure that they would go to him i i think peyton manning would easily be the front runner for it who knows maybe espn's in the running for the tom brady race Maybe they can, maybe they can offer him that money, but I think I think we'll probably get another year of booger at least. Yeah, I could see it. It's just it when a guy's doing that bad at his job, I just don't see how you can bring him back. Even if you bring back just like some standard plug like from any other network that's on like their C team that you can just fill in like I don't know maybe like a Dan Fouts type person, you know, some some guy that could just fill the hole until you find that next promising young broadcasting talent to come in it's not going to do a great job but not going to do a booger job you know yeah but i think we're stuck with booger for the foreseeable future uh, it just makes those monday night games so hard but hopefully there'll be good football instead to make up for that announcing duo but then it gets ruined by booger because, <laughs> because <laughs> it's like man this is such a great game but i gotta mute my tv to enjoy it and listen to it on the radio or something in case everyone was wondering, we are not having Booger as a guest on the podcast. We reached out, but he said no. So that's why the, the Booger train is going right now. Yeah, we, we really did like Booger until he said no, actually. Yeah, that's, that was, that's that was where the reason. That's where this came up. All right, so now we're going to move on to our next segment. A lot of stuff's going on with Husker football. We have two players that are retiring. Barrett Pickering and Javion McQuitty are both retiring because of football injuries. And J.D. Spielman has left the program. That is probably the biggest, most blockbuster news that has happened for Nebraska football in the last couple weeks. Their leading receiver from last season is now headed back home. What do you make of all this, Robbie? You know, it's just it's odd. I'm not I'm not too surprised about uh, McQuitty and Barrett Pickering. I do think I didn't think Barrett Pickering's injury was as severe as it obviously apparently is because he is retiring. You know, because he was a very strong kicker for for Nebraska, and they struggled a lot without him. But, you know, the J.D. Spielman news, I actually – I was just at home earlier today, and my friend texted me and said, J.D. Spielman with an eye emoji. I was like, what the heck did J.D. Spielman do? I was like, it's too late to declare for the draft out of the blue. Like, what the heck? And then I I go on Twitter, and I see, you know, Mitch Sherman, Sean Callahan all posting about it, all saying, oh, you know, he's not with the team, not expected back for spring football, maybe summer. So – you know, obviously, it's with an undisclosed health issue currently. 
whatever it is, whatever he's battling, obviously wish him the best and uh, recovery. But I, I'm just more... I'm not more curious, but I am curious to see if he's going to be back with the Huskers come fall season. Yeah, there was the report. Um, Frost did say that um, everyone's focus right now is on JD's well-being, of course. But also in that interview, they said that this is a temporary thing. They didn't say he was leaving for good. They expect him to join the team for summer football. Does this mean that he's just going back home to Minnesota and just not taking classes this semester and then coming back and it's just a really weird way that the athletic department worded everything with it yeah it's just it's an odd situation all around like it's it's definitely not comparable to the Maurice Washington situation as far as you know why they're taking a leaf but you know it kind of puts it up there like I don't know the Husker football team just has some weird way of handling things it, it it's always and even with the Maurice Washington situation last year it was like it's not that he's left the program. It's he left the program to go and fix some things back home in California. Like we all know he's gone and he's not coming back. Yeah. So why don't they just say the guy left? That's it. But I don't know if this JD situation is the same as that. I could totally see him coming back based off of the way that they worded it. But I don't know because he was a guy that was potentially an NFL draft pick next year. Not this draft, but rumored for – somewhere in the three to five range and by a lot of scouts in next year's draft. And if he's not playing here, then he's got to wait and sit out a year and go somewhere else. Yeah. The whole, the whole situation is, is funky, but you know, obviously he needs to take care of whatever he needs to take care of. And if he does join the football team again, that's fantastic because he is such an electric playmaker at the wide receiver position. Obviously Adrian Martinez trusts him more than any other receiver on the team. And, that leaves Nebraska pretty thin at the wide receiver spot, too, without J.D. there. Yeah, it does, for sure. There, it's a lot of unknowns coming up. Omar Manning and all the guys that they got in the recruiting class are going to have to fill in. Cade Warner will be back and all those guys. But also this year, the kicking situation just got a lot more interesting because Pickering's gone. We learned also this week that Matt Waldock, the crazy walk-on story from last year, the waiter at Lead Belly's club soccer member, has left the team and is focusing on school and going back to the club soccer team. So I'm really wondering who's going to be the kicker next season. I am. You're trying out? I'm trying out. I'm getting my uh, my graduate eligibility. Get a kick for a year. Use your fifth year? Yep. You know, I yeah, I don't know who's going to kick. I have absolutely no idea, but hopefully somebody that can put it through the uprights. Yeah, I, I, Drew Brown was such a great thing for this program that really went underappreciated when he was here because anytime he went out if he missed one every two or three games it's whatever but every time he went out he pretty much drilled it right down the middle and ever since then it's been an absolute circus to try and find someone to make a, a field goal and you know it's not even that drew brown was like the best kicker in the world or anything like you said but it was the the stability of the position you know that he was you know where he was good from you know that pretty much anything probably within you know 40 yards was probably going to go in outside of that a little touchy outside of 50 especially which I mean obviously not many college kickers make that consistently but it was the the stability of the position knowing who's going to kick every weekend week out versus you know you're down two points you need a field goal to win the game and the kid that's walking on the field is a freshman that just joined the team this week that you've never heard of yeah it's I've never seen or been to a stadium for games where 
everyone in the stadium when they're about to kick an extra point cringes and does not know where that ball is going to go. And he's yelling at Scott Frost to go for two. Yeah, that was it was definitely a circus last year, and I hope they have something figured out because right now it's looking a little bleak. Yeah, but on back to the uh, the JD Spielman note, if he does not end up returning to the team, I'm officially starting my Cade Warner for Blitnikoff campaign. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna run the fan club? I think I might have to. I'm expecting 1,200 yards, 15 touchdowns out of him this year without JD. If he's if JD isn't back, that's about 900 more yards than I'm expecting out of him, even if JD isn't back. Nah, he's he's got this on lock. Well, what did he have two years ago? He he didn't he couldn't have had more than three hundred when he was the slot wide receiver. Yeah, I doubt it. But I got faith in my boy Cade. Hey, we're rooting for him. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our daily fantasy picks. Of course, I uh, will be doing NBA. Casey will be talking to you guys through some NHL picks, and a little bit later in the segment, we will both recap some of the XFL guys we are liking for the upcoming week. So I'll go ahead and start with the NBA. One guy I'm really liking that I actually played this past weekend in my lineups, he helped me earn some money, is Christian Woods, center for the Detroit Pistons. Over his last six games, over his last six games, he's had 37 plus fantasy points per game in all of them, which is unbelievable production out of the center spot, especially for a guy that has bounced around from about the 7,000 to 7,500 range. He is kind of on the uptick because he's an emerging star, so I expect it to be closer to about mid 7,500. Um, for this weekend where he plays the Jazz and Rudy Gobert, which I don't love him for that game, but then he also plays the Knicks, which I really like him for that one. Another guy I'm looking at is Jordan Clarkson, and 12 of his last 13, he has double-digit points. He's a guy that can get you some buckets, maybe get you like three assists, three rebounds, some some other random fantasy points to help you out, but he's only about a $5,000, $5,200 play. He was 5200 this past weekend. Um, he has games against the Celtics and the Pistons, which the, the Jazz should be easily competitive in both those games, so I expect him to get a good amount of minutes and a good amount of points. The last guy I'm going with is obviously a top salary guy, right around the $10,000 range, definitely peaking up there with his recent performance, is Bradley Beal. Five straight games of 50-plus fantasy points per game for him. He has been just absolutely on a tear. He's playing the, the uh, Atlanta Hawks, the Miami Heat this weekend, who both have... Tr- struggled tremendously to cover wings all year. And so I think Bradley Bill is in line for a tremendous weekend. Definitely a guy to build your team around. Definitely a guy to look at. KC, what's the NHL looking like? Uh, I had a couple decent picks last week. Um, guys like Kevin Fiala has still maintained that hot streak that he's on. Since last Monday, he's had four goals, five assists in his last four games. Uh, playing really great hockey right now for the Wild. Another cheap guy that you can look forward to, Michael Backlund. Three goals, four assists in the last four games he's played for Calgary. And another guy that you can really look to chip in on your defensive pair or your defensive group for your daily fantasy rosters, Charlie McAvoy of the Boston Bruins. One goal, four assists in his last three games. So he's putting up points, not only that, but he's also blocking shots like a machine right now. It's a small point, but it can definitely help especially later in the night. Uh, another guy that I'm really liking on the high-end salary, Artemi Panarin, one goal, four assists in his last four games. You can always really com- count on him to stay hot throughout the season. He just has all the tools in his arsenal. He can shoot. He can pass. He's a great player for the New York Rangers, so you can always count on him in your lineup. Another guy that I'm really looking at in high-dollar uh, area for defensemen, Ryan Ellis, 
one goal, six assists in his last four games. He's been on fire for the Nashville Predators. He's been just blocking shots like McAvoy. I really took into account those extra points that you can get. Power play, power play assists, three of those six assists were power play assists. So he's been really playing well on all aspects of the game, not just 5v5 and on the defensive side of the puck. So you definitely need him in your lineup. Another guy that I've had for goalie for the last three weeks, his hot streak has not stopped. Mackenzie Blackwood. In his last three games, he has had a 9.55 save percentage and two wins of the new, for the New Jersey Devils. He's been playing amazing goaltender, just an absolute brick wall recently. So I highly suggest you keep riding him. Another guy that recently has kind of emerged, uh, Pavel Francouz for the Colorado Avalanche. 9.44 save percentage, six wins in seven games, and one shutout for Colorado. He is a guy that you can definitely plug in your lineup because Colorado is going to win a lot of games regardless of how good the goaltending is. So if you want that easy 12 points, you better throw Frank Kuz in your lineup. All right, now let's go ahead and talk about some XFL. A couple of guys I like this week include a pair of Tampa Bay Vipers. I'm going with Taylor Cornelius at the quarterback spot. You know, he's not the most exciting play by any means, but over his past two games, he posted 21 fantasy points, 22 fantasy points, which is, you know, definitely pretty good for what you want, especially when you look at a guy like Cardell Jones, who's been struggling over the past couple weeks, and it's still higher salary. Landry Jones obviously hurt, so that takes away another top play. So if you're looking for kind of a mid-tier quarterback and you're not trying to build around a quarterback, I really like Taylor Cornelius for this for this week. Um, the other Tampa Bay Viper I like is Davion Smith. He just had 24 carries for 122 yards his last game. Also had like three or four catches. Uh, he did not find the end zone, but I think that with Taylor Cornelius's improved play, the offense clicking as a whole, he's going to get you know roughly that same amount of carries. I think he can still have a monster game. If he finds the end zone, he's a great play, which I very much believe he can. And my last play, I'm going with Matt Jones of the St. Louis Battlehawks at running back. Um, in all four games, he's had 15-plus attempts every single game. He's playing the struggling D.C. defenders, who are the eighth worst at uh, fantasy points a game against the running back. You know, he, if, again, if he can find the end zone with the amount of attempts, the amount of touches, and the amount of yards he can get, it is a great play. Those are the three guys I like for this week in the XFL. Casey, what about you? I chose to keep it pretty simple this week. I went with uh, Jordan Tamu, mainly because of the point we discussed earlier where you have absolutely no clue what's going to happen with these quarterbacks every single week. Cardale Jones went from the hottest QB, possibly we talked about an NFL player. You talked about possibly an I NFL talked player. about it. I, I, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'll, I won't lump you into my mistakes. Uh, so, yeah, I talked about Cardale Jones becoming, and now he's just an absolute flop, but a really consistent player in the XFL. Jordan Tiamu has been really consistent for the Battle Hawks, so if he's, a, he's a guy that you definitely need in your lineup. And I like Austin Prohl this week, the receiver for Seattle, mainly because it's it's a weird thing with him. Week one, he has a great week. Week two, he's nowhere to be seen. Week three, he has a great week. Week four, he's nowhere to be seen. So it is week five. So if he's doing this every other week, take one week off thing, it's definitely going to be a week to have Austin Prohl. All right, now it is time to move on to our betting picks where Casey just improved to 4-1 on his lock of the week pick. So, Casey, win us some more money. What's your lock of the week this week? You know, since I've been absolutely riding the sorry Timberwolves the last two weeks, I'm going to do it again. Sunday at 2.30, the New Orleans Pelicans go on the road to play Minnesota. 
Um, and I am going to go with New Orleans over Minnesota. Minnesota is now 6-22-1 against the spread at home. I feel like I'm repeating myself every week because they're always at home on a Sunday, and they just lose every week and on the road. And they never cover. Never cover. So they're 6-22-1 against the spread at home. Those six wins could not have been any time recently because they have just been really rough. Uh, Minnesota is the league's worth team against the spread and cover 35% of the time. And I'm going to ride Zion, so that's my lock of the week. Minnesota losing to New Orleans at home. For my lock of the week, I'm going with the Sacramento Kings on the road again this week, uh, taking on the Portland Trailblazers. So last week I went 3-0 and in my NBA picks. Just could not miss, so I, I'm hoping to do that again with my NBA picks this week. Starting with the Kings on the road at Portland, of course, my lock of the week. Portland only covers roughly 40% of the time at home. It's right around that 40% mark. They're definitely on the bottom half of the NBA as far as that goes. Again, like I mentioned last week, the Sacramento Kings, one of the best teams in covering on the road. Um, they're actually fourth best in the league right now. They did cover last week against the Thunder. Maybe sweated out a little bit. They were up by about 17 in the midway through the third quarter as seven-point underdogs so you were feeling amazing and then they ended up losing almost almost blew the cover but they ended up clutching it out for me moving me to only two and three on lock of the week picks this year but i'm i'm improving so casey what are some other games you like i got faith you're gonna get to 500 this week another game that i like tampa bay will cover the spread against the red wings on the road on sunday I'm basically doing the same thing that I've been doing in the NBA. The Red Wings are the worst team in the league at covering the spread. Um, 15 and 52 on the season, covered 22% of the time. While Tampa Bay is the best team at covering the spread, 41 and 24, they cover 63% of the time. Almost made this one my lock of the week, but I'm going to go ahead and just keep on the Minnesota bandwagon. But I really also like Tampa Bay over Detroit on Sunday. A couple other NBA games I'm looking at. Um, you took the Pelicans earlier on the road uh, against uh, Minnesota. I'm taking the Pelicans at home against Miami. Miami is the third worst team at covering on the road. They're incredible at home. They're top in the league at covering at home, but on the road, third worst in the league. Just awful. They play honest the game before. They might be a little banged up, you know, throwing a lot, pretty much any arsenal they can at Giannis. So I do like the Pelicans at home because they are slightly above average. They're not that exciting. It's mainly because Miami's so bad on the road. Another game I like is um, the Celtics at home against the Thunder. This is this is two Goliaths going at it. Boston covers second best at home. OKC covers the best on the road. Something's got to give, but I think Jason Tatum's playing out of his mind right now. I think TD Orton is a, one of the toughest places to play in the league. So I think I think the Thunder are going to slack a little bit, and I think the Celtics are going to catch them for that and, and cover at home. That's a pretty good pick too, because the Thunder are a, against a spread darling this season. So, I like that. I like the thought process there, though. Another team that uh, I was looking at XFL wise, just this week. I honestly, this one is pretty. I, I'm I'm gonna guess this is gonna be a pick 'em between the New York Guardians and the Dallas Renegades. Probably the two worst quarterbacks you could throw in a game head head against each other, but. Since the Dallas is at home, I would imagine they'll have a three-point advantage, maybe. So I'm going to go with the Guardians on the road to cover that spread. Probably not going to win the game, but it's going to be a 9-6 to six game, so they'll cover the spread. That's my other pick. Casey, you mentioned earlier, don't bet XFL unless you're betting, unless you're betting the under. Hey, this is my lowest pick of the week. This is, this, is, this is just, if you want, if you have extra money to throw on something, 
go ahead. Give it a whirl. If you need to make your Sunday afternoon a little more spicy, a little more interesting. <laughs> yeah. But if you if you don't want to watch this game, which I totally understand, do not throw your money on it. All right, Casey. Now let's go ahead and move on to our everyone's favorite segment, Is It an Overreaction? Where, of course, we will give each other about three takes, say whether or not we think it's an overreaction, and explain why. So Casey, give me your first over give me your first take for the week. Zion versus LeBron was all it was hyped up to be. Casey, that is not an overreaction. Those two going at it was so great to watch. Zion is such a beast in the paint, and obviously LeBron James in year seventeen is still LeBron James. Triple double like it's nothing. You know, the Pelicans struggled to guard LeBron in the post. They were only leaving them in single coverage, oftentimes against a smaller a smaller opponent, so LeBron was absolutely abusing them all night long. Um, obviously, we had two Lakers Pelicans game over the past over the past about week and a half, and they've both they've both lived up to it. And they are so those two guys are just so fun to watch still. Yeah, they are. They're a lot of people are going to compare Zion and LeBron, but I, I don't know. They're just they're very different players, but at the same time, there's that same level of excitement you get from watching both of them play. Even LeBron at 30 plus 35 years old it's just crazy you know there's just an excitement that comes with those those players so I absolutely loved watching the game yesterday and hopefully we get a few more years of it before before LeBron leaves the league all right Casey my first take for you is that the Dallas Renegades have no chance to win the XFL title this year without Landry Jones honestly I'm going to say that that is not an overreaction because they had no chance to win it with Landry Jones (laughs) he has not lived up to my expectations of what I thought he was going to play like. And even without him, probably for the remainder of the season or a lot of it, I don't think Philip Nelson has any juice. Like he's, he's whack bottom line. He's not a good quarterback. So there, if there is any spark of hope, it's going to be Eric Dungy. I'm just really hoping that he plays up to the level that he did at Syracuse. Maybe he can play some exciting brand of football, Probably not going to get it done to win the XFL championship, but just to keep me watching, I hope he plays exciting brand of football because Philip Nelson is not the answer. Dungy just needs to act like he's playing Clemson every game. He'll do just fine. Yeah, that that game was incredible. When was that, two years ago? Yeah. Now? Jeez. All, All right. right. Casey, what you got for me? My next take for you, Robbie, is that if Tom Brady leaves, the Patriots should tear it down and tank for Trevor Lawrence, and that's if he leaves. Casey, that is an overreaction because it, it depends on more than just Tom Brady. If they can re-sign guys like Devin McCourty, Kyle Van Noy, a couple of those key defensive pieces, they're still going to have one of the top defenses in the league with you know insane talent. Stephon Gilmore, obviously, one defensive player of the year. So I think if they can get a guy, I don't think Jarrett Stidham's going to come in and lead them to the Super Bowl, even even if that defense plays out of their minds. But if they could get a guy like a, a Teddy Bridgewater maybe or – you know, some other low-level free agent, a Ryan Tannehill even, like we talked about a few episodes ago. I think that would almost be good enough. Obviously, they, they still need some pieces to surround them with because Tom Brady couldn't do it with them. I don't think Tannehill or Teddy Bridgewater are going to do it with the weapons they have. But Isaiah Wynn, if he plays a full healthy year, if they'll get James Devlin back at fullback, get the run game going a little bit more, David Andrews hopefully returning from his blood clot injury, the center. I think that, you know, their offensive line is going to be bolstered again. 
if they can add just a little bit of weapons around at wide receiver and tight end especially. Because I think James White and Sony Michelle are very serviceable running backs. So, you know, even if they can get a lower tier quarterback in the free agent market, I mean lower tier, but obviously Teddy Bridgewater and Ryan Tannehill kept winning wherever they were last year. So if they can get a guy like that, should Tom Brady leave, I think that they're still one of the top teams in the AFC. I I don't know if they'll beat the Kansas City Chiefs or the Baltimore Ravens exactly, but I think they'd be right there in the competition. So if Tom Brady were to leave and your contingency plan here is to go and get one of these guys and you don't get them, what what is what is what changes? So you... you're so you're telling me my lone quarterback on the New England Patriots roster is Jarrett Stidham next year? Or whoever you end up drafting. Or whatever the plan is. Not like a Mike Lennon level player, but Okay, well for for this then I'll just assume Jarrett Stidham is my starter for sixteen games next year. Then I guess you'd probably maybe let McCourty and Van Noy walk, try to build up some cap room for the next year, work on getting healthy, work on adding some playmakers. So if you do draft a quarterback or add one in the next offseason, then he has weapons to work with. So then I guess you shift your focus a little bit more to the offensive end. I don't know if you completely tank for Trevor Lawrence, but I think that I mean, Bill Belichick completely built on winning, so I don't think he would ever even consider tanking, but but you got to look at the options there for sure. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting scenario to follow should Tom Brady, which both of us don't think is going to happen, should he leave. All right, Casey, my next take for you is that James Harden, the beard of the NBA, has awakened an absolute beast in the no-skilled Giannis. I would say so, and that is because Giannis is one of the hardest fiercest competitors in the league I mean he is just nonstop. he has that mentality you know that we talked about some of the players that can could, could continue that Mamba mentality I mean he's went from most improved player to like this MVP level player and if it's any indication in his last game after what Harden's comments were about him I would definitely say that he awakened the beast I mean 41 points, 20 rebounds, and 34 minutes of play. I mean, that guy is someone you do not want to make angry, especially before the postseason. Yeah, I agree. Giannis has looked, you know, just in the past couple of games since since all this beef has not necessarily started, but ever since James Harden one-on-one with uh, Rachel Nichols from ESPN, it's been a completely different Giannis. All right, Casey, what's your last take for me? My last take for you, Robbie, is that the Davis Twins did enough at the Combine athletically to both get drafted this year. Uh, you mean the Usain Bolt Twins, right? The Usain Bolt Twins, yeah, yes. the 300-pound Usain Bolt Twins. I think that they both obviously displayed the athleticism they have for being 300 pounds with their 40-yard their dash times on top of other drills. I mean, you know, you look at those guys that are going to have to probably shift positions or at least get more open to to playing the interior defensive line, kind of like we mentioned earlier on in the episode. Um, I think that they will both be late day three draft picks. I think, I don't think either of them is going to go day two, but fourth through seven round, probably earliest, maybe fifth. But I, I do think that they can both get drafted. I could totally see that. I mean, we talked about it earlier. They did enough athletically to at least get that look in the late draft rounds. So I could totally see them especially with their size and skill being able to get drafted in the NFL this year. Oh, they're going to get drafted to the same team, though. That That would actually be really cool. That would be really cool. 
All right, Casey, my last take for you is that arguably one of the greatest of all time baseball players, Mike Trout, can have a career as a golfer once he leaves baseball. I am going to say that that is not an overreaction. And mainly the reason I say this, I'm, if you haven't seen the video, Mike Trout was at Top Golf and absolutely boomed a drive like to the back wall, completely out of basically out of the whole facility they had there. And mainly I'm saying this from the point that with Mike Trout, he's already just completely blown past the impossible in baseball so far. And he's just such a great natural athlete that I would not put anything past him at this point. And I could totally see it. Maybe I didn't really do much research into his specific golf game because I know there's athletes like Tony Romo and other Steph Curry is a big golfer and mm-hmm. they, they play really well. Not PGA level, but they can definitely hold their own on a golf course. And if Mike Trout wanted to take the time to take up golf, I would not put it past him to get to make it to that level of play. You know, he's got to work on the accuracy, though, a bit. You can hit it, you know, 300 yards. But he did hook it a little bit to the left. So he's got to work on that, straighten that ball out. But, man, he absolutely crushed that ball at top golf. Yeah, I could. You, you've probably seen it occasionally on NBC, that long drive competition that they mm-hmm. do. He could hold his own in there for sure. I mean, those guys – one out of 12 of their, their drives is actually good and in play, but they hit, they hit it 400 yards, and I could totally see Mike Trout doing that. Is it time for a, a happy Gilmore remake with Mike Trout from baseball? I totally think so. I, I'm all for any happy Gilmore content we can create because I love that movie. What, do you have a baseball bat putter? I think he has to. How would that even work? I don't know, but I think he, I think he has to figure it out. Yeah, that's yeah, that's something that definitely need to be taken into consideration. Maybe like a like a stick with a glove on it that he sweeps, something like that. I think I think that would work. I think Mike Trout needs to make this happen. We got to get in contact with him. Yeah, we got to get Hollywood on this. Yeah. All right. Now, obviously, to end the episode, we will be talking about Husker sports. Over this past week, we did have sand volleyball in action down in TCU in the Horn Frog Challenge. They went 2-3 and three over the weekend. Uh, stick with women's sports. Basketball played at Indiana against the number 20 ranked Hoosiers. Lost 81-53. Absolute blowout of a loss. And then we had our men's basketball team taken on Ohio State where they lost 75-54. And Northwestern for senior day. Lost that one 81-76. True hair. True heartbreaker that we'll get into here in a minute. Um, baseball took on number 12 Arizona State all weekend, which was just an odd series because they won the third game 18-10, to but they dropped the first two 13-5 and 14-1. to Then, of course, softball was down in the Missouri tournament playing uh, Wichita State-Missouri, two games apiece, splitting both those series. So, Casey, let's go ahead and dive into the, to the senior day game that I know we're both just dying to talk about what happened there. You know, it just comes. It, it's very reminiscent of Nebraska football with the free throw problems that they have. Nebraska football has the problems with the extra points and field goals. I've never been to a basketball game before where I'm cringing watching a, a free throw. I mean, they shot eight of thirty. That's that's one of the worst free throw percentages all time. Like I, I, I'm still shocked. Casey, do you think given thirty free throws, you can make eight or more? You know, I'm not the best basketball player, but I think I could make I could make eight or more. I think I could, especially if it's in sequential order. I could make eight. And if you only go with 10, that's 33%. Yeah. And that still beats them. Yeah. I think I think I could also easily hit over eight. I, I feel like I'm a pretty good free throw shooter. I still 
shoot free throws quite a bit in my free time. I think I could top that. And they are, they are not good free throw shooters. They're fourth worst in the entire Division One college basketball. Probably going to drop even more after this uh, disaster from yesterday against Calgonid. But I have never seen a team lose specifically because of their inability to shoot 50% from the line. You know, one of the most mind-boggling things in basketball to me is how many people get to, you know, these Division One programs. I mean, obviously, you know, Nebraska is a Big Ten school, Power Five school. They should be getting some of the top talent. And, you know, some of these guys that end up making it to these top teams in the NCAA or even making it to the NBA that just can't shoot free throws, I don't understand. Yeah, it got to the point yesterday where I was just like, just shoot for the square, please, someone. Just just try and bank shots. This is this is getting ugly. And even then, it, I think bank shots, they would have at least made 50% of their free throws. But that was just, it was so hard to watch. I think they needed to pull out, pull out the uh, Rick Barry granny shot. Yeah, anything, honestly. They might have just needed to kick it, and they probably could have had better percentage than they did yesterday. All right, let's talk about our uh, our baseball team who looked to turn it around, taking on number 12 Arizona State all weekend. I mean... One eighteen to ten, so eighteen runs in a game is is pretty darn good. But only six runs in the other two, and the thing is, they give up thirteen, fourteen, and ten. Like that, something, you got to work on something there. Your pitching has to do better than that. Yeah, I've been following them this weekend, uh, looking at the stats for the games, and their pitching has been pretty. That's what's cost them a lot this season so far. And they are also on offense. They are living and dying by the home run. If they're not hitting home runs, they are not hitting at all. So that's something that needs to be addressed. But they are an exciting team. They beat a ranked Arizona State team, which is always a plus. So I'm very interested to see where they go from this point during the season. And if you would have told me that they would have given up 13, 14, and 10, I would have thought there was no chance they were winning a game. And then the fact that they scored 18 runs in that last week after only scoring one the night before, it just, yeah, you talked about how home runs make or break that offense. I mean, a 17-run turnaround overnight, that's incredible. Yeah, they're, in a, that's what, they're exciting, man. They're an exciting team to watch. So I'm more curious. Right now, I'm not as worried about the losses as I would have been if this is a month from now when they're in Big Ten play. I think it's just going to happen. New, new manager, early season jitters. But once they get to that Big Ten point, I'm, I'm curious to see where they're pitching. If their pitching improves and where it lines up with the rest of the Big Ten, Obviously, their offense is really good. Some nights really bad, some other nights. So the the whole conference play issue is just going to be a very interesting thing to look at for me. Are the Nebraska Huskers, is the Nebraska Huskers baseball team the Houston Rockets of college baseball? Honestly, they might be. They're, an, they're definitely an anomaly. Because the Rockets live and die by the three. Nebraska's yep. living and dying by the home run. They are, that is for sure. And, and lackluster pitching. Yep. All right, so moving on to what's coming up this next week in Husker sports. Women's basketball is taking on Michigan in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. Obviously, they win in the advance. Uh, we got men's basketball going up to Michigan for their final game of the regular season against Juwan Howard's Wolverines. Softball is going down to Arizona, playing in the Arizona State Invitational. We got baseball making their home debut against Columbia, where they can hopefully continue this hot streak and improve that pitching a bit. And then, of course, Casey and I's favorite sport on the show, our favorite Husker sport, wrestling in the Big Tens this weekend. Yeah, wrestling, man. They're, they're an exciting team. We've been following them very closely throughout the entirety of the podcast, and it seems like they get better every single week. So I would not be shocked to see if these guys just absolutely tear it up at the Big Ten tournament. 
you know, Casey, you may be Cardell Jones' bad luck charm, but I think our show is the wrestling team's good luck charm. Hey, you take it, and it comes and it goes, you know? That's true. The more we talk about them, though, the more they more they kick butt out there, and hopefully hopefully they can uh, represent well in the Big Tens and get some guys on the NC2As. Yeah, that's for sure. Another team that I really want to focus on, too, though, is Nebraska women's basketball against Michigan. This is a huge game for them at this point in their season. And I actually had the opportunity to call the last Michigan versus Nebraska game for KRNU here at uh, in Lincoln. And they played a pretty solid game, but they got down early, and they had to come back like 19 points to win that game. Michigan's no pushover either, so that'll be a very interesting game to see what the Nebraska Cornhuskers can do there. Do you think if... I know you're a betting man, actually. I'm not going to say if you were a betting man. Would you put your money on Nebraska making the tournament or missing the tournament right now? You know, I I hate to say missing the tournament, but they put themselves in a hole in that midway point of the season where they lost like five games in a row. Mm-hmm. I'm rooting for them, but it's very tough. It's gonna it's gonna be tough for them to make the tournament at this point. I think. Yeah, I agree. And over these over this next week, I mean, obviously we'll be looking all around for both men's and women's basketball, those bubble teams looking to get into the tournament, not only just in the Big Ten, but all around. Because obviously, you know, men's basketball, their last shot is winning the Big Ten championship for for that automatic bid to make it. Yeah, and considering they haven't won a game since almost the beginning of January, about two months ago, I do not think that they are going to win even a single game in the Big Ten tournament. You know, I don't either, but... It could be fun to watch, right? Hey, if they fix their free throws in that first game, maybe they might. Because uh, now it seems like every team's going to play them, follow them, and send them to the line instead of letting them shoot. So hack, a, hack a Huskers. Just hack the Huskers. Yeah, that's the defense you got to come in with now, I guess. All right. Well, that is going to do it for our sixth episode of Just Doing Our Cobb. Join us next week where we will stick with those same segments, trying to win you guys money in daily fantasy and betting. And then, of course, we will break down how both the women's basketball team did in their Big Ten tournament and as well as the uh, how the rest team does in the Big Ten, so tune in next week and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.